This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're past the fall back time change here in the U.S., and for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere generally, the days are noticeably shorter, cooler. With dark, chill evenings, this week we're settling into the season, and the seasonings we turn to in cooler weather, headed toward the tastes of the winter holidays. We're joined in this by Sue Getz, author of A Taste for Herbs. She joins us today from her home and garden in Tacoma, Washington. Welcome, Sue. Thank you, Jennifer. It's nice to be here. I... uh, started to read this book, and I'm just going to admit straight up, I am not a cook. I am not a foodie. I am a gardener. I'm all about the dirt. I love to eat, Sue. I do. But I'm just, for whatever reason, I was not created by the universe to want to cook no matter how much I love to eat. So I was really excited to look through your book and start dog-earing pages and saying, oh, I'm going to try that. Oh, I'm going to try that. So I'm excited to, to get into this. But let's start off with you describing for listeners your current relationship to plants and horticulture, both personal and professional. Um, I I like that my personal and professional, I think they have a lot of crossover. (laughs) I love to garden and I am truly blessed and and lucky to say that I get to do this on a professional level. I am a garden designer and a garden coach or consultant. So I, I really like to guide people to really, I think, fall in love with their gardens, kind of like I do. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really what it is for me. And that rare thing where I, I act, people will pay me to do this. This is amazing. <laughs> it's really amazing. So I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky. I love what I do. And the, the balance of that is, you know, the design work and the consulting is kind of the daily thing for me. And then I, I, I do love to learn a lot about the garden and share that learning. And so then it turns into, as you mentioned, writing and speaking and, and all of those things and getting people even more excited on a bigger audience level. Right. And you live in Tacoma, Washington, a veritable paradise for gardeners in a lot of different ways. Describe your your home garden and your home garden practice, Sue. Yes, I Tacoma, Washington is a beautiful place to garden because we have a climate that lets me really play. I I didn't grow up here, so I I was used to gardening and different types of climate zones. So this one has really spoiled me. And my personal garden is is somewhat new because I've just moved into a house. It's been a few years ago. So I'm really turning it into my space. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's there's the token veggie garden already in and every little nook and cranny has herbs that I can tuck in. And, and so it's starting to evolve into... Um, uh, let's see, just a, a real... It's my paradise. I, I would say I don't design gardens like I'm doing my own garden though. I, <laughs> I do, it's like, this is not how I would design a garden, but I love what I do. So it just, it becomes my space to walk out in. And the, uh, the book, A Taste for Herbs just came out this year. So I'm guessing that the home garden with all of these herbs tucked in, uh, in your, what, what zone are you? Zone nine? Actually, it's like 
considered 8B. Okay. In yeah. your in your 8B garden must have been a fantastic trial experimental laboratory for the book and uh, the the growing techniques, the plants, and then the the seasoning blends you put together for it. Absolutely. This and and I've done these recipes, these seasoning, kind of this herb uh, passion for years. So my garden prior to this one was also a big learning lab. So that's why this one has become that as well. And that's what I call it. It's my experimental grounds. It's my learning lab. So I can, you know, really fess up over my mistakes of how much I didn't take care of a plant and it gave back it anyway. <laughs> you know, all of those <laughs> things that happen when we when we're trying to grow, especially when we're growing herbs, because there's that moment of, you know, how do I get to this plant pick it if it's like in the middle of another thing that I can't walk through. And so, so making all of this accessible and, and easy. And so in the writing of the book, it just, it did transfer over because I have some massive, beautiful rosemaries and things like that. So I could just pick anytime I wanted because rosemary is beautiful year round for me. And, and there's other things that I can grab and go. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it will always be my learning lab here. I'm not going to s- stop for any reason. <laughs> you, that's, that's awesome. I mean, um, I think any gardener listening will understand that, like, that those moments where we don't intend, we don't want them to be there, but those moments when we fail our plants and they give back to us anyway. And we all rely on the, the kind forgiveness and grace of the plants in our life uh, some seasons. So let's go back just a tiny bit before we dive deeper into the book and your um, history with herbs and your knowledge of them. Where did you grow up? What were the plants and the people and the places that grew you into the plant person that you are now, Sue? You know, it's it's a fun story thinking about this because I I moved a lot as as a child and, and, and into, you know, grade school, high school, all that. My family moved a lot. And so thinking back on some of those influences, they were dabbled all over the country. And and my, my biggest favorite memory, and I think the one that really triggered, I was probably, I'm guessing six years old is what I, I remember, is my grandma had a huge garden. And she had vegetables and berries and edibles. And I remember sitting in the one day and, and my my grandpa came in with a handful of romaine lettuce leaves. I didn't know what they were romaine at the time, but I do now. And big, but those big leaves and he just kind of shook them off and he sprinkled some salt and pepper on them and he ate them. And I was, <laughs> I was like, this is cool. You get to go snack out of the garden. I thought you did that out of the fridge, you know? And so that was, that's a really fun memory for mm, me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my mom and dad, never gardened. We never had house plants or anything. But when we moved around, I, I remember living in a place in North Carolina. We lived in North Carolina for a little while. And I would open the window that goes out onto the neighbor's rooftop. And that's where I grew my tomatoes. And my mom could kind of care less that I was growing tomatoes, but she liked the results. And then even, gosh, even in high school, there was no house plants in our house. But my bedroom was the jungle because I had plants there. And so it was just something that always captured me. I always just wanted to be growing, you know, growing something. And I found ways to do it even in different circumstances. Yeah. Where did your grandparents live? 
they lived in a little town on the coast of Oregon called Coos Bay. And so it was somewhat temperate too. So they had a really fabulous garden. I remember even my grandma chasing me out of the red currants because I was stealing them and she was trying to save <laughs> them for jam. Yeah. So <laughs> it was fun. It, it, that's where my memory starts for that, sure. That is awesome. And so where did you where did you end up at school and what did you study and what took you to Tacoma in time? <laughs> you know, and that's even a, a longer story, but I, I have to say um, the journey that that really turned it on its ear for what I do for work now was after high school, I moved into Idaho and I ended up marrying a third generation farmer. Mm -hmm. And so we lived on 360 acres in Idaho. And I think it turned everything I thought about what I was doing with plants just over its ear. I mean, I started like, oh my goodness, because it gave me a different respect. It wasn't just a about the plants. It was about caring for the soil and the earth and all of the things that needed to make those plants grow. That's, mm. you know, our environment on the farm and how you, you know, we had to interact with it because it became our lifestyle. And to me, that was, that was where things took a turn because my career at that time was not schooling and gardening. I was actually a graphic artist for print media at an ad agency. And so I just tell people I changed that medium from pen and ink to plants. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it all kind of went from there. Yeah. So that that capture of and we lived on the farm for um, I think it was about 25 years. And so that was our life. That was that was where my passion just got really deep. And like, I, I just want to do this. And then I ended up in Tacoma through other circumstances circumstances, but then moving to Tacoma and to this climate, because in Idaho, it was zone four. And mm. I, you know, would just, just beg my little rosemaries to try and make it through the summer. Mm -hmm. And so then moving to Tacoma, I, I was just a kid in a candy store. Okay, I'm doing this. I can grow whatever I want and get crazy. And my career took off because in Idaho, I was I was teaching and I was starting to do some design and taking some courses that kind of, you know, taught me more about soil and earth and plants. And, and of course, the biggest learning lab of all was that farm. And now I just transfer my kind of artist, artist work, I would say, uh, to designing and helping other people kind of get their environment what they want it to be and personalize it. That's really what it's about. Yeah. And so where do herbs start to come in in a big way? Because clearly from what I gather in this book, you have a long and intimate history growing them, playing with them, combining them, using them in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. Herbs are a big one for me. And I think the intrigue just started in my kind of growing plant world that I was experimenting with was I also say I became a little bit of a selfish gardener. I wanted to just grow plants that gave me something back. Mm. And herbs are one of the most giving categories of plants. They give you flavor. They give you aromatherapy. They heal you. They they just do so many things that I can't name another plant category that does all that. Mm -hmm. And I was just enchanted. I, what can I do with this? 
this plant? Ooh, this, you know, aloe vera on my windowsill, or what can I do with lavender? I have some growing, I'm going to do this. And I think that's where it starts with people when they get really in, you know, just really intrigued by herbs is that, that fragrance. Well, ooh, what is this? What can I do with this? Yeah. 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 That's where it starts. Yeah. They are very enticing. And, um, I would say they, they are as seductive a group of plants as any in terms of kind of calling out to us and saying, touch me, taste me, you know, uh, rub and, and just everything. The, and then of course the history and lore, once you start getting into it and the power of them, just, it, it does, I think, capture most people's imaginations. And thankfully as a gardener, they are also so, so generous in their easiness of growth and some of them can become a little thuggish but they they're they're you know once you get them established they are hard to kill and they are easy to help thrive yeah agree i mean absolutely 100% and i think that's what the that's a bit of the intrigue is mm-hmm. oh I can grow this and oh my goodness, look what it's doing for me. It's, (laughs) you know, just think of what a patch of mint will do for you besides take over your garden. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. And then, and then of course you let them go to seed or, you know, you don't harvest them in time for one stage and you get to the next stage and you have the incredible, you know, the, the rooting of them sending out runners, the flowers feeding the birds and the butterflies and the bees, and then you get the seeds set and the generosity often of self-seeding in places, which you, you do you, – some of them, especially like the mints, you have to watch out for those runners and watch out for uh, volunteer seedlings who are trying to destroy your neighbors. But – in general, they like every stage of them has something both beautiful and helpful to us as cooks or gardeners or, you know, in the apothecary side of life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that next stage, in fact, I was recently walking around the neighborhood and I saw some calendula, which is an annual that will kind of throw itself all over in seed. And it was growing up in the cracks of a sidewalk in really kind of brutal conditions. And I, it just made me smile because I thought there's a resilient herb. Yeah. And then, you know, it made me go to my head like, oh my gosh, I could make a, a healing salve with this. This is good for my salad. My brain's just going, oh, and this is, this is the kind of thing I think if we just started thinking more about instead of, well, look at that weed in the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my goodness, no, it's this resilient, wonderful little healer that found a way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I recently completed writing uh, my first book and about sort of the current state of women in horticulture. And one of the question I asked the 75 women in the book is, if you were a plant or if there was a plant who represented what you wanted to be in this world, what would that plant be? And some of them talked about, you know, a landscape versus a plant, but more hands down, the most popular choice among these women who are across the world, Sue, not related to each other, the answer was dandelion. And it was for those very reasons you just gave to the calendula, this ability to 
withstand and look beautiful and be healing and just be a powerful, resilient presence. And that really has like stayed with me since yeah. since that process. So Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fabulous that you say that because that's not what I the plant I thought you were gonna say. Uh-huh. But it makes me happy because in the world of landscaping, which besides you know, my designing, you know, dandelions aren't the good guys. And I always try to say, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm going to give you a different perspective here. Mm -hmm. So that's a great great perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's certainly what it took me by surprise. And and like you, I just, I absolutely loved it. So what brought you to writing this book at this time? There are so many books on the market and um, there are a lot of books about herbs, but there's a couple of really interesting and unique ways that you approach this book and what you offer out to readers in it. So so tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book in this way at this time. You know, this one came on the heels of another book I wrote uh, called The Herb Lover Spa Garden, and it was really about growing herbs and making skincare treatments mm-hmm. and kind of nur- nurturing things. So so this, this taste for one, I'll be honest and say I didn't think I was going to write a book and I'm going to call it a cookbook, but it's not, it's a garden book. I want to call it that first, but, but a, a book about flavor until I was talking to someone and, and that was a really number one thing with people that I talked to about herbs is like, well, how do I cook with this? Or there's a basil in a recipe that I want to do or, or, or whatever. And realized that the taste part was really a big deal. And I have been doing this since I've been growing herbs very long time. And I thought, well, wait a minute, maybe there's something I can share that I think is different. And and the reason is my approach was um, really exploring the flavor of the plant, not necessarily the flavor of the main dish, but about grabbing that that herb leaf or the flower and really understanding you know, what that fragrance is, how it tastes, what it does to make food appealing. So that was kind of more the direction I wanted to take. I just didn't want to have, you know, here's a a roast and here's a vegetable side dish or anything else. I wanted to explore what herbs do to the vegetable or the the side dish or the, the main dish or whatever. And one of my favorite things is when I have people just, I show them a leaf and I have them rub it or smell it and I have them describe it to me. Like what is, if you could describe this flavor, what would it be? And it's really fun to hear because everybody will say something different. And in writing the book, I was trying to do that a little bit. Like basil has a bit of a clove-like or a licorice-like or, you know, something that people could almost start to maybe get their mouth watering a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and I think once you start to connect it to something familiar in your flavor palette, you start to realize that that's that plant in your garden that you can actually go pick and do that with. Yeah. And I think that's really the fun part because I think people know how to season if they cook, they know how to season food. You put salt on it, you put this or you put that, and maybe the recipe calls for a teaspoon of thyme or a, you know, some chives, or they put chives on their baked potato or right. or whatever, but I wanted all of that to to really start to connect all of it back to your garden and start there and then work your way back to the flavor. 
because I, I'm a gardener and so I wanted it to not just be a cookbook is, is really the, the, the approach I wanted to take. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. This week, we're talking all about things herbal and tasty, from the garden and then into the house and kitchen. Sue Getz is a garden designer known as the Creative Gardener, and she's sharing with us some of her thinking about growing and using herbs all year. But especially now, as we lean into late autumn and feel the front edges of winter. We'll be right back for more. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. I know that I sometimes go way far over to the side of what we think about when we think about gardens and gardening. And maybe there are some of you out there who will smirk and nod when I admit that sometimes I might spend so much time thinking about why we garden and what we mean when we garden that I forget to get us back into the garden. I know, it's true. That's what this conversation with Sue felt like for me, a fresh, aromatic dig into the actual garden, the simplest of things that we love about being in it, working with it and knowing it so well, from how it smells and feels to how it tastes. There are lots of ways our gardens nourish us, and this is one of them. I loved how marrying a third-generation farmer and working the 360 acres of Idaho earth for their living turned Sue's understanding of gardening and plants on its ear, as she said. I really feel that respect and integration in her work. It's a good respect to show up with every day we're out there. You're going to love Brie Arthur in this same way next week, too. More good taste to come. But now, back to All Things Herbal with Sue Getz. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. Sue Getz is the author of A Taste for Herbs, and she's sharing with us some of her passion and knowledge about using herbs in the kitchen and home, starting with what they are really like in the garden. One of the really fun things in the book for me was the way you walk us through combining different herbs in different ways to create these more complex seasoning mixes that you can use in all different ways. And this, for some like really sparked with me. Uh, before we get to those, because they maybe, for me, are like the culmination of our conversation. But first of all, let's maybe walk through the structure of the, of the book a little bit, like how you put it together and the different sections. Because you, you, you treat the reader with an assumption that they have some knowledge of gardening, some knowledge of cooking, but you make sure to give some of the foundational like first steps of what to do. And then you move us on to this kind of advanced thinking about ways to, you know, ways to use them, ways to preserve them, ways to then use them in food. Yeah, I wanted to just really start the journey of grow. And and if you kind of really look at the table of contents, it'll say grow, that's what we're doing. And then we're creating. And and part of that walk through is, is really getting people to 
connect back to the garden again, but also uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll do a speaking engagement on this book and I'm going to say to the audience, you know, here's the, the whole disclaimer. I bet, you know, each and every one of these plants I'm going to talk about, because I think people are familiar with everything on that I list in here in one way or another, like they recognize it because it was in a recipe or they recognize it because they read about it somewhere or it was in somebody's garden or it's creeping over from the neighbors or whatever's happening Mm -hmm. with a a plant, but they recognize them. And so then my next thing I want to say is, but I hope that you will learn something new about the plant you already know. So it's just like maybe learning something new about an old friend. And that's how I looked at this. I wanted so I, I wanted to go on that breakdown of just kind of some select plants. So I show I chose 20. Uh, there's lots more out there, but these are the most common. I think they're the easiest ones to not be afraid of and not feel like, oh, that I'm gonna have to buy the seed from exotic seed source or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever. You right. know, uh, you could go find this in in your favorite garden store or, or on the seed, you know, the seed rack in, in the store and try it and not feel intimidated by it because you have some sense of familiarity with it. And so then, and then I think my next deep dive for that was now let's talk about how you would describe the flavor and and I also talk a lot about how to grow them and be successful, what they need to grow well. And then as important as anything is the parts of the plant to harvest because, you know, some parts are edible and some parts are just not very palatable. And I wanted to make sure we understand that very clearly without it being, um, without it being kind of like overwhelming, you know, or, or, or scary. Cause I, I think if people haven't really grown and processed herbs to use in cooking or drying for seasonings or things like that, sometimes it seems a little bit mysterious. Like you have to do something special and I always say like boiling beakers in the basement or something. And it's like, no, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really not that hard. (laughs) And so, you know, I I just thought... If I could get them to kind of overlook that and feel comfortable, then the the mixology part, which becomes a little mysterious at times, which is putting one flavor with another and not having it, you know, collide into something horrible, but but something really flavorful. Um, so I kind of wanted to guide through there and then make the recipes once again easy. I, I tried to stay away from ingredients uh, beyond the herbs that were hard to find, that you couldn't just find at your favorite grocery store or, you know, health food store or something like that. I wanted to really cut, because there's a few things I had to dial in, like, I don't want to talk about that because then you've got to go through a huge, you know, process of, of a, a pressure canner or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be simple because then I feel like it's so approachable for someone who is curious or likes the idea of it, but just doesn't know how to dive in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how you not only approach the simplicity, because I could look through this book and say, I could do that. I have all that stuff in my kitchen, even though I'm not a great cook. And I have, you know, I have almost all of those herbs in, in my garden. And I agree with you completely that the 20 you uh, include here are going to be familiar to almost everybody, but your handling of each of them does give you these great little new pieces of information. For instance, I had the the great fun of reading the book and then sort of quizzing the people around me and saying, all right, can you tell me what's the difference between an herb and a spice? 
And <laughs> um, and I had never actually like heard this or read this before or or thought about it before, Sue. And so that was that was fun. And John actually got it. He he figured that part out. And then I said, okay, so what's the one plant that's an herb and a spice? Ah. Uh, and he got it. He got that too. I didn't get oh, nice. it. So, um, but so describe for listeners that that difference right there. What is the difference between an herb and a spice? So herbs are are typically that kind of leafy, herbaceous type of plant that you grow in the garden. And spices are tend to be more the seeds and the bark and the the more harder structures of plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially, and, and when we talk about that, and, and when you start naming them, you really understand, like, cinnamon is the bark of a tree. So that's a spice. And a lot of times, spices are also really not easy to grow in the garden. They're really uh, more indigenous to, to warmer climates, more stable climates of the world. And and so those are the differences. It's not a really big difference, except for when you you start thinking, oh, the woody part of the plant right. or the seed or something like that, mm-hmm. rather than that leafy kind of herbaceous green thing that you grow in the garden. I said that like a thing, but it's it, the herb plant that you grow in the garden. Right. And the minute the minute you I read the description, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. That's that's cool. And let's go ahead and give the answer to the big riddle. What is the one plant that we know of at right now that is an herb and a spice soup. So the herb is cilantro and the spice is coriander. And basically the herb is um, the leafy part that you're used to putting in like your salsa, things like that. But when it goes to seed, that seed becomes the spice coriander. So that's, that's the one thing. Yeah. So pretty simple. And to me, I, I've always heard of the two. And when I was younger and kind of starting to explore a little, I I thought they were two different plants. But when you tell people, no, it's just, you know, the byproduct of one or the other, it it's kind of like, oh, that's that's interesting. So the garden is even more fascinating than I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. So Let's start from sort of the beginning. You have these these 20 plants, and they include all the things that listeners are going to think they include. It's it's basil, it's mint, it's oregano, it's thyme, it's marjoram. It's, um, there, are, there are 20. If you mm-hmm. had a general list of things to keep in mind in terms of planting and caring for them, what would those be? So are you talking about a general list of like uh, if we look – at this list generally kind mm-hmm. of success with them? Yeah. 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 So I would say overall, most of the herbs, especially the ones on the list, really like to have sun. There's very few that like the shade. So there, there's that part. Um, so you might have to kind of find sun if you're in a garden that has some shade move a pot out onto a deck where you sun yourself or something like that that's mm-hmm. where that's where you'll you'll move these and then one thing that's really obvious when we start talking about rosemary and thyme and sage and and some of these real mediterranean type of plants mm-hmm. those type of plants they don't really like to have their feet wet so they need to be watered but they need good drainage real sharp drainage as they call it in a in a garden or in a pot and so those are those are some really easy steps to success it's 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 sun uh, that you most 
tips that you can give them through your debt through the day and then good watering not too much not too little in fact some of them really kind of push the other side of drought tolerant which is really nice so you don't have to worry about always having to have water on them mm-hmm. and really um, what I find too is is they like good soil but sometimes too rich a soil, interestingly enough, doesn't really help them. They like a little lean soil because then it makes them, it forces them into more flavor. And one of the real obvious ones to me is lavender. If, if lavender is in too rich, composty, humusy type of soil, it actually won't produce a good flower or a good fragrance. It, it, it puts all of its growth into kind of leafy and a little bit weak. And so it like lean soil and and so there's a, there's a few little tips like that 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 really help be successful really make it easy I'm Jennifer Jewell and this is Cultivating Place this week we're talking about all things herbal from the garden and then bringing them into the house and kitchen Sue Getz is a garden designer known as the Creative Gardener, and she's sharing her herbal knowledge with us this week. We'll be right back for more. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week. I'm a little hard on myself about the cooking thing in this conversation with Sue, and truth be told, I'm a fine enough cook, and there are times when I do love to be engaged in the kitchen. I mentioned making pizza with my girls, and three of us love to do this, to make the dough from scratch and have it rise up warm and plump, and to choose our toppings to make it specifically to our taste. While gardening is my first choice for how to ground myself, clear my head, find center, and reset, there are other activities I love too, like we all do. Which reminds me of Matt Mattis sharing with us two weeks ago his grateful epiphany that we can in fact love two careers. Maybe it's the same for you. Maybe there's one thing that you're most aligned or identified with, but there are others that fill you up also, that bring you joy. For me, these might include reading, hiking, knitting, needlepoint, and to be honest, cooking is in there too especially when it's relaxed and not that age-old question, what in the good world's name are we having for dinner tonight? (laughs) These secondary joys in our life, whatever they might be for you, they may not be the main dish, but they certainly add spice. And we are all made up of a symphony of flavors and layers. As we head into the winter season, and all that that brings, including a sense of gratitude and harvest, of hunkering down and settling in, inside, in ourselves. Different herbs and spices come out, don't they? Out of the garden and out of us. I hope you savor every one. Now back to our conversation with Sue Getz, the creative gardener sharing with us her creative love of herbs. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. Sue Getz is the author of A Taste for Herbs. As we come back, she's sharing with us more about how to make good use of herbs through understanding their chemistry. 
when I was writing this book, I, I did dive into some research on the essential oils within the plant mm-hmm. and, and the chemical makeup of them. And it, it is it, it can bury you kind of deep in a lot of that science, but I loved it. And I thought it was really fascinating and how some of the components of the essential oil, which is the essence within the plant, have different levels of percentages of, of, of their makeup and a lot of it is based on the soil they're grown in and, and, and the climate they're grown in. And, and to me, that's really fascinating. That's why we hear, you know, great things about lavender coming out of the south of France or even up here in, in Washington State in the Squim area because it's the soil bringing out their essence a little bit stronger. And mint will be a little bit better plant when it's grown in a little bit more moist soil or with, uh, you know, a water flow nearby where it can get water in the soil, it'll have a richer, a richer essential oil to it, which I think is really interesting. And, and it, it, it's, it's, it's science, but it's fascinating. And, and it helps, helps you to kind of understand a little bit more. Um, and actually, I think get a, a little bit more respect for the plant too, instead of I'll grow you, you'll be fine. I'll taste you. It'll be great. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, you get a little bit more out of that when you start thinking about what the diversity of and, and how they're growing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how they respond to their growing areas. I completely agree with you. It's you, you get a, you have a much, I have a much greater respect for them when I understand the kind of miraculous complexity of how they work and especially how that is interdependent with the soil and the weather and, you know, everything. It's, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. And that brings me to the chemistry that you are then offering us as, you know, the people down in the basement boiling our pots and our, our little like <laughs> coven of alchemy. Um, the If you were to choose, say, three to five plants that you would like everyone to try that then they could harvest and put into one of your spice blends, maybe your most – generic one that you could use in all different ways what would what would those be oh my goodness it's it's like do I have to limit it to I three no <laughs> it's true that's, that's the, I know every plant person will tell you that they've got to <laughs> pare it down but I, I try to think of the ones I actually go to a lot mm-hmm. and I do have some go-tos I I love a good mint, a good spearmint, actually. I like the sweeter taste of spearmint mm-hmm. as compared to a regular peppermint. And so having a mint plant and putting it in a container to keep it from running all over the garden. And I tend to go to rosemary as well. Lavender, I think those, if you, very common, I think those are good starting points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you kind of want that one plant that's like, just grow this and put it in all kinds of things it's it's something like chives i mean in yeah. chives just you put it you go out it's it's cer- certainly super abundant because you're using the stem of the plant you can eat the flower but the stem is really what we're going after and so it has a multitude of stems you just go out and and it's it's not picky how you cut it you don't have to you know cut it down to a certain leaf or a node or anything like that you just right. cut it right. you <laughs> it like a ponytail and you cut it and and then you snip 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 away and I use it, I'll just throw it in a salad if I want to add a little bite to it. Mm-hmm. I'll dry it, put it in a seasoning because it, it has kind of that oniony, garlicky without being being intense. And and sometimes, you know, I had actually someone mention this to me that they they have a problem with onions and garlic 
like it's a digestive issue for them, but they can add chives to get that nice kind of alum, you know, oniony, garlicky flavor, but it's not upsetting to their stomach. Oh, that's and, interesting. And so, yeah. yeah, so it's kind of a lighter form of being able to get that nice pungency that you get out of an onion. Um, so that one's actually and super easy to grow. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just super giving for sure. Right. And the more you cut it, the more it grows, which is great. Like when it starts yeah. to look sort of like it on in the Adams family, you cut it all yeah. back and it pops back up. And then it becomes a, a chia pet, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'll just keep doing that. It until will. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> until, until winter sets in. And then it'll, it'll come back again really early. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple of notes from you for listeners on the the use of fresh herbs and then the use of dried herbs and maybe a few pointers on uh, how to dry effectively in a sort of simple kitchen setup and then maybe we'll get to the the blend as well but before we get to the blend I think we need this step yeah we do need the step because this step so we've got the plant in the garden and now we need to capture its essence and that's I always use that word essence and infusion and and the reason is the essence is what's in the plant so that essential oil is the fragrance it's the flavor it's all of the things we want to preserve and so we're taking that essence out of that plant and trying to infuse it into another form or we dry it and and so what we want to do is try to capture the best of it that we can and a lot of times it's really when we pick an herb and if, if I'm harvesting for food, like I'm, I've got, you know, something boiling on the stove, just go grab it and cut it and use it. But if you're harvesting to preserve it maybe for use in the winter as a dried product or, or in one of the recipes as a, a dried seasoning or something, then you want to kind of know when that herb is at its absolute best. And for leafy herbs, and I'll use basil as a really big example, is it tends to have its most flavor at that moment right before it's it's trying to go to bloom and you'll mm-hmm. see that little bud coming on and the and the leaves are just super intense and so that's that's a good time to pick them and mint is very much the same way it's it's right it just gets really intense just as it's trying to bloom it's almost like it's throwing out its best because it's going to get so showy in the flower and we don't want it to go to flower we want that and so you pick it in the morning after the dew dries but before the hot sun is on it Mm -hmm. because that essential oil releases in the air in the hot sun that's why when you got in the garden in the afternoon and it's hot and summer day you smell the herbs because they're releasing so it's attracting pollinators and doing the job they do so well in the garden but we want that essence not to be escaping quite yet by the sun and so if you get it before the hot sun is out and then grab them and harvest them and to me hanging them to dry is the easiest way super simple if you don't have a lot of room what i have is is one of those laundry drying racks the mm-hmm. dowel the wood dowel they pop yep. they fold flat and you pop them up and i'll hang them all over that and let them get nice and cornflake dry and then i'll strip them off the stems and i'll put them in jars and keep them and i try to keep my dried herbs in their most whole form as possible. Ah. Like a mint leaf, say you've dried, I want that whole mint leaf to be in the jar preserved because every time you break that leaf, you release the essence, you release it. And you can tell, you smell it. Yeah, that makes total sense, yeah. 
Yeah. And so I want to save that. And so then when I'm ready to mix it into something else, I'll take that whole thing and I'll break it into like, let's say you wanted to make a mint sugar. And so you had like a, you know, a, a bowl of sugar and you wanted to infuse it with mint. You take the whole leaves and you start to break them and grind them like with a mortar and pestle or a back of a spoon or something. And so then that essence is releasing into the sugar and it's starting to break away. And that will, and that's how we're really, so capturing the essence is really important. How you do that and how you kind of take care of that plant until you can get it where you want it, like into that dish cooking or into that seasoning or into that vinegar or that oil or something we're trying it's it's if sometimes it feels like a race like oh i gotta get this dry so it'll stay really nice and it can be but not scary and certainly you don't need a lot of uh, you know crazy exotic equipment i mean this is a laundry drying rack i also have (laughs) yeah i mean that's how simple that that really is and then i have um drying screens that I I make out of old picture frames you just use the wood frame and you staple on window screen and those that's what I use to dry my flower heads like calendula or leaves that a lot of times I'll do the basil on that because they don't hold well on their stems Mm -hmm. and so I lay them flat the air will go through the screens and help them to dry nice and then once they're dry I get them into glass jars and, and I always tell people, always label your harvest because all the green leaves look the same when they're dry. <laughs> Very good so, point. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved the tip in the book because I am one of those people who'll be like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I go cut everything and I make these cute little bundles and they look so pretty. And then I get really, really busy, Sue. And I totally forget to actually, you know, once they're dry, strip them off the leaves so that I can get them in the jars. And I loved the tip about putting either a you know a fine mesh bag around them or just a a paper lunch sack around each one so they don't get weird and dusty and then you feel like oh I don't want to use these they looked really pretty for a while and now I messed it up because I forgot <laughs> so that yes. that was a great tip for those of us who might be a little behind their time sometimes yeah it works well because it also keeps the you know like the dust off but yeah. if you've ever dried rosemary or lavender or one of the, and and all the leaves are falling off. They're on their kitchen floor. They'll <laughs> they'll catch in the bag, which is perfect. Yeah. That's where you want them. So then you know you can just dump them off into a jar. Yeah. So walk us through the no salt herb blend because I read this and I was like, I could use this for anything. I could put this on chicken. I could put this in pasta. I could put this on the pizza before I make it with the girls. Walk us through that one. So the no salt herb blend. I wanted to put something in here for people. Who- who are trying to take care of themselves and not, you know, have some salt restrictions or anything. And so when you think about the reason I put this one together, because I was thinking about what salt does to a a seasoning salt mix. It's the part that as soon as it hits your tongue, the salt goes zing and it makes your, your, you know, your saliva go and your taste buds go. So then once it zings it, it starts to take in the other flavors of all the herbs that you've added to the salt. And so The missing link in that is if you don't have salt, how do you get that? And so I've used really common herbs in that blend, like thyme and oregano and rosemary. And those are three of the most pungent herbs you can grow. They have a lot of really great flavor within themselves. Plus, they have a lot of similar 
similarities in their in their oil makeup so they taste good together mm-hmm. and then i wanted the zing that the salt usually gives and the zing is going to be lemon because lemon is that one thing that you can stick on your tongue and what does it do instantly to your mouth you start salivating and you're starting to you know your taste buds just come like in this like what (laughs) kind of a moment (laughs) which they're doing right now just thinking about it (laughs) yeah yeah and so the garlic and the lemon in this particular recipe because I did have a little bit of garlic in this one um that is the part that just starts getting your mouth ready for everything else to be flavorful. So it has a lot of zing to it without having that added layer of salt that, mm-hmm. that you, you don't really need to have, if you, if, especially if you're restricted using it. Right. So is there another blend that you would say was really popular uh, among readers or in your own household that you would recommend we, we look at? And maybe I'll put that up on the website. Yeah. It, the one that keeps running out in my house and I have to keep making. Uh, and I've also, I gave it to friends for for Christmas last year and to my daughters. And there they said, oh, that's the one they went through. Actually, there's two. So I'll, I'll say the number one is is the, the salsa mix, which uh-huh. it's, it's interesting because that one's very, it's got chives and it's got, you know, some red pepper flakes and, and uh, some cumin and some other spices that have a real tang. And what I I do with that is I just sprinkle it on uh, an avocado that I've mushed up. And that's like a side dish for me. Mm -hmm. And it's flavorful. Or you can use it to season taco meat. You can use it to season salsa. For some reason, that one's a real capture. Everybody really, really likes that one. And and the second one that I've had a lot of comment about is, and I really like it, uh, but I just didn't know how popular it would actually be because it doesn't sound like it would be, is the rosemary smoked salt. And basically that's a smoked salt. I don't smoke my own salt. I buy smoked salts and it's got dried rosemary and a little bit of garlic in there. And that one is actually really yummy on roasts and barbecue, grilling, meats, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I've had that one really comment it on. That's one of their favorites for really enhancing the flavor of meat, especially. Great. Well, if with your permission, I will put those uh, those three recipes up on the, the website for people to take a look at. Nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. As we are um, wrapping up, when you think about this, you know, and, and it's fun and it's tasty and, and we love it as gardeners and this whole interplay between us and our food and our gardens and our climates. But when you think about it in the most expansive terms, Sue, why is this important? You know, I really think it's important. First of all, there's the simplicity of it, the the growing herbs and learning how to use them to me feels like it could be and should be a gateway into a bigger thinking about what the garden gives to people and how it really is a bigger part of, you know, how we take care of ourselves and, and our world. And, and I think it really draws a certain amount of respect when you're out in the garden and you have successes and failures, but then you turn around and you have this simple plant healing you or giving you an amazing taste in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, I think 
in the bigger world, you know, I think back when I, I mentioned about living on the farm and what really turned my gardening world on its ear was how I nurtured the soil. That was important all of a sudden because mm-hmm. that, that was our life for one thing, but also for my plants in the garden, my herbs, it was a whole nother world. And so I think we, we learn bigger than ourselves you know, just by that simple wanting to have a flavor mm-hmm. that we learned how to take care of soil. And then that gets bigger and bigger. And I think it's it's like, to me, I hope a wave, um, you know, because they, I've actually talked to people and they'll have a, they'll have maybe even just one herb on their windowsill and, and, and they figure out how to use it or what it did for them in particular. And, and they realize there's this kind of aha moment that it, it was based in their garden and the garden is based on its environment. And I think that opens our eyes a little bit, uh, how that respect for the earth is, is the reason they got the flavor. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It's been such fun to talk to you. It was a real treat. Thank you. It was fun to kind of dive back into my, my roots of gardening. This was fun. Sue Getz is a garden designer, a speaker, and author of A Taste for Herbs from St. Lynn's Press. You can follow her work at theherbloversgarden.com or thecreativegardener.com. And as you head into this mid-November, I hope your taste for herbs is a seasonal joy. Join us again next week when we go even deeper into the food we nurture in our gardens. And we're joined by Brie Arthur, who will talk to us more about her mission to get all of us integrating the concept of foodscaping into our gardens and landscapes. She's also known as the crazy grain lady, and she'll encourage us to try even growing rice in our gardens. There are so many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. Over on CultivatingPlace.com this week, make sure to check out the dry herb mixes and the recipes for them from Sue Getz as quick pick-me-ups for your winter kitchen. I've got everything I need for the salsa recipe drying in my kitchen as we speak. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Executive producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.